I got it. When I first heard about Dave being trapped in a maze. One, two, three, four. I built a labyrinth. Can you believe it? Dave is trapped in a cardboard maze in his living room and he can't get out. Welcome to Dave Made a Minute, the podcast where a whole bunch of us are exploring the film Dave Made a Maze one minute at a time. The twist. Many of the participants have never seen the film. Some don't even know what film they're sampling. They get their minutes and they tackle them as they see fit. Here's your host from the Groundhog Day Project and Michael Myers Minute, Robert Black. Minute 19, Annie, Gordon, and the film crew enter the massive keyboard. To tackle Minute 19, we have me, Robert Black. And I've also got an interview with Scott Narver, who plays cameraman. You come home, there's a giant maze in your living room. You're like, what the... There's a giant maze in my living room. I've heard of people rearranging the furniture, but this is wackadoodle crazy. This doesn't make any sense. Did I promise? Did I promise to my It's like a fucking cocktail party in here. I get a few words from you before you go. Minute 19 opens with a shot of what is actually a miniature hallway, a cardboard floor, keyboard walls, curving off to the left ahead. Nice percussive beat playing on the soundtrack. Second two... Ankle and our primary group of characters, Annie, Gordon, Harry, Boom Operator, and Cameraman. Annie looks positively excited to see this. Second four, we pull back, and the angle of the last shot is a little off, actually, because the opening from which Annie emerges is facing to the left, right into the wall of black and white, not down the hall. The editing suggests shot-reverse shot, but it isn't quite that. Annie emerges. One wall of black and white is to our left now. The previous hallway is not visible from this angle. Knowing how production went, I'm guessing it no longer existed when they shot this bit. She eyes the black and white wall as she walks toward us. In second 14, we see why, as she puts out her hand, and it turns out the black sections are voids in the wall. She starts to walk into the void. Gordon. Annie. Close on Annie as she goes into the black, she doesn't seem as excited as before. She might be being pulled in as much as, if not more so than, she is going in deliberately. Second 18, with a squishy noise like the whole thing is inflatable plastic instead of cardboard, Annie disappears into the black. Gordon steps toward the wall and looks inside. Beyond him, cameraman turns to boom operator, saying nothing, of course. They are both standing with equipment recording. Gordon steps back away from the wall. Second 26, Annie pops out of the next black space from where she entered and surprises Gordon. Annie, hey, Gordon, hey. Annie looks excited as she steps out away from the wall. Second 30, close on Gordon as he rushes into the black. Boom Operator and Harry look like they're having a great time. Cameraman looks taken aback, but as Gordon enters the black stripe Annie entered before, the fourth black, Cameraman is quick to go into the third. Annie laughs. She is having a great time. Boom Operator goes into the second black. Harry walks past him toward us, and he enters the third, just as Gordon pops out of the sixth. Gordon laughs. Annie laughs again. They're like kids discovering a brand new playground. Second 38, the movie plays with us with a nice visual gag, closer in as Boom Operator pops out of the fourth black, then Harry out of the third, Cameraman out of the second. Annie laughs some more and it's adorable. She walks toward the wall again, as does Gordon. As Annie leans into the sixth black, Harry emerges from the third and Boom Operator's Boom Mike emerges from the fourth. Second 45. A red ribbon flies by, blurry in the foreground. It seems to coincide with a deep voice saying hi, followed by Dave's voice saying hey. Annie pulls back from the black and looks up. Second 49, cut to the miniature hallway ahead as the red ribbon disappears into a black stripe on the right. A light ribbon flies from left to right and we hear Dave's voice again. A red ribbon emerges from a different black on the right. A pink ribbon comes out off to the left. 
close on Annie as a yellow ribbon flies right past her. Dave's voice is in the music, in the ribbons. We get a shot of Gordon, Harry, cameraman, and boom operator reacting, and really, boom operator, whose specialty is, of course, sound, is the only one really emoting. He seems fascinated. My guest today, Scott Narver, who plays cameraman, seems at best slightly horrified. But before we get to him, the yellow ribbon spirals around Annie a couple times, then flies into one of the black stripes. Annie calls after it. Dave! She starts to head into the seventh black stripe, and the minute ends. Now, on to Scott Narver. So you are a primarily a podcaster and you do YouTube, right? Yeah, I, I used to do a lot more acting, um, and then I was falling out of it, and uh, the movie came about, but I, I was just doing podcasting and YouTube stuff primarily, and improv stuff as well, um, just as a means of, that was something I could control easier and uh, and be a participant more often, so that's why I chose to go that route. And so how did you get involved with Dave Made a Mace? Uh, I'd say by proximity, really. Uh, Steve Sears, the co-writer, and Bill Watterson, I met through Second City uh, in Los Angeles, and we had all gone through the program together, and Steve and I had been in an improv group almost going on 10 years now called Bro Squad 5, and um, so I'd hear about it in the early ongoings of... Uh, I'd hear conversations between them talking about this idea for a, a movie with mazes and um, kind of an excuse to have something where it's a throwback and uh, like an adventure movie and something like Goonies and something like this, something like that. And so I'd, I'd hear about it early on and then they had put together a, a rough draft and um, Steve used to live across the street from me when we were living in Hollywood, and uh, he invited me over one day, and I saw a really early draft of the script, and so it just, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time, and uh, they, they thought of me at one point. Now, did your character, the cameraman, did he have more lines before you were involved? I'm just wondering if that's the joke. Like, they hire someone whom you do, like, podcasting and stuff like that, and then give you one line. No, I well, I think, you know, like anything, it's, you know, have him shut up as much as possible, so... <laughs> Uh, you know, Steve's dealt with me and Bill has over the years too. So they, you know, uh, let's keep them quiet. But actually there, there was debate for a while. Steve would, um, come up to me every so often during the m making of the movie. Cause like any movie, as you're doing it, you want to cut as much money as possible from everything having to cost something. So it's like, what can we cut? What can we cut? Right. And, um, me having a line made it more expensive because I get paid a different rate. Oh, right. As opposed to if I had no lines. So Steve would constantly come up to me and go, don't let anybody cut your line. Don't let them do it. So <laughs> I'm sure there was discussion. I, I know it was a thing. I don't know who it was, but I know I know all the right people were, were in my corner. But granted, if they could save however much money it was uh, for me to not say anything and just die, <laughs> then it was fine. But I, I know a lot, of, a lot of people in place said, no, but it's really funny. It is. The yeah. line is really funny that he says it, so you can't get rid of it. Especially because I noticed recently, I don't think you're in the scene where they keep quoting that line earlier, or at least you're not near them. We're in the we're in the far background. Yeah, but like you're not involved. You're not near the conversation. I guess you'd be filming it though. Yeah, we. we I know they had shot some footage of it, and so it's Frank Cayetti who's playing the uh, the boom operator. That we're we're th there's footage of us just sort of goofing around with each other, and I think we mimicked them doing the line, or we mimicked doing De Niro stuff, but it just didn't make the cut, so 
A follow-up note, I checked the scene after the interview, and sure enough, Scott and Frank are back there doing the same thing. We just don't get any close-up shots of them in the film. Oh, the fun question, and I hope you have a good answer for this, because John Charles Meyer didn't. Where is the weirdest place you found a bread roll? Oh, man. Oh, that's right. All the bread rolls. Well, he, we, we definitely tried to traumatize him for a while because then we started. John, I don't know if he described. He had a, like a, uh, like a guard tower essentially. Like he had his own little desk. This area where, whoever you were on the movie, you had to pass this area where John is uh, at a laptop, scowling, constantly typing and looking up, and then you know smiling when you, when he's interacting with a human but everything else he's just overseeing the movie <laughs> so anytime he'd get up or he's not paying attention we'd put bread rolls on or around him anywhere we could so <laughs> i know he probably just didn't want to answer like he probably sat on a couple um yeah he he said he wasn't a target for much of that because he was away from everyone <laughs> No, we we definitely. I know, I know. Um, Adam Bush and myself, we we put a couple of them on there. I know Frank and I, Steve and I, like yeah, we we definitely put them around. We paint little faces on them, um, <laughs> make it part of his decor. But the weirdest place that I found one, uh, I I know there was one put in my bag that has the uh, the tapes in it. So, uh, somebody put one in there. I think that's the weirdest place I found one just because I was pretty like, no one could stick one in the camera. It was someone's actual camera. Um, Jeff, the art art director. So that thing was precious. Like you didn't, <laughs> you didn't mess with it. So it wasn't something created. So he, he had, he had fond memories of that camera. So we messed with it. Did anyone ever find one while recording? Oh, I'm sure. I think we they were, we were constantly trying to put them in each other's pockets and stuff, <laughs> or just stuff them on a shirt or things like that. But it was my first movie, so I wasn't that ambitious. I knew a fair amount of people on staff, but I, I wasn't going to be the guy that was going to ruin a take when they had such limited shooting. It's like, Scott, we're going to cut your line and <laughs> fire you. Like, oh, sorry, just doing some with bread rolls. Just thought it'd be funny. So this was your first movie? Yeah. Yeah, my first my first movie, yeah. I mean, I had done a movie or two before where it was a, a paid extra gig, and I never, you know, it's that scary story. Like, I didn't see cameras. Oh. Uh, they were there, I'm told, but it was out in, in like, downtown Los Angeles in uh, Skid Row. It's one movie where I did where there was... It was like a, just a bunch of homeless, you know, we're all playing homeless people. I didn't see microphones, and we're out there until dawn. But, hey, I got my 40 bucks that I needed because I didn't have any other means of income at the time. But I didn't consider that to be like, well, that was my first film. I did it. Yeah. There was no bread rolls. Didn't count. Yeah, this one you have a lot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you also had to eat, were those sunflower seeds? Yes. The whole time? Did Were you actually having to like spit those out all over the set? Or, I know, low budget, maybe they just had you do it. Well, they initially gave, so I didn't, I didn't know how to, you know... Here's Tom Cruise in every Mission Impossible movie learning some uh, skill set that no one else knows how to do. You know, he's learning to breathe in the water for several minutes at a time. <laughs> and my thing was like, I don't really know how to spit sunflower seeds. Okay. So I had uh, one of my friends teach me because he's a big sunflower seed addict. And um, so he just shows me like, oh, here's, you know, you just pop it in between your teeth, crack it, eat the the uh, 
the middle part and then you spit it out. And so I wanted to be good at it. So if needed to do it uh, with like a specific spit or something like that, I, I tried to get good at it. And then they gave me just the standard sunflower seed flavoring initially. And then I got kind of uh, to be a snob about it where I'm like, oh, all right. I'm going to go buy my own flavors. I'm sick of these. So I'd go buy <laughs> the dill pickle and the cracked pepper. And then I just mix them up in that little bag that um, the little satchel that I keep them in. Yeah. And uh, when I was told initially this, so the first scene that I shot with the sunflower seeds was the bedroom scene where we're, we're trying to interview Annie, but then we end up interviewing um, Leonard. Uh, yeah. Leonard. And um, I was told to spit them in the room but spit them in a designated spot so that way they wouldn't go everywhere. <laughs> and uh, I said, okay. But then it wasn't working out. And then I was told, like, no, it's okay. Spit it everywhere. We don't care. And Lauren is the one who had to pick them up. <laughs> and Lauren, uh, Lauren Shell, who I know you spoke with, yeah. she's a sweetheart. She's great. <laughs> yeah. And I felt terrible because <laughs> it's not just something that you discard and throw on the ground. This was in my mouth, and I'm spitting it, and these aren't easy to pick up. It's not like there's a, a shop vac that everybody has access to. It's just like, oh, real quick, I'll just get these up, no problem. She had to go and pick them up with her hands. Oh. So I'd always, I'm like, I'm so sorry. They're telling me to do this. She's like, it's okay. It's my job. It's all right. Don't worry about it. You're doing your thing. I'm doing mine. And I go, I wish I could do something else to make it less disgusting, or I, I will not make them saliva-y, or, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll do my best. So... She was incredibly kind about that, and uh, whether she went home every day and like, he is disgusting, how dare he, I don't know, uh, hopefully not, but yeah, I, so I was told to just spit him wherever, and then as the movie progressed more and more, and the sets were being torn down and built up faster, yeah. and things were just being tossed to the side, then it really didn't matter, it's like, yeah, go ahead and spit wherever you want, because this is going to go away. Chance that we don't have to pick it up. It's it's just going to go away with the cardboard. So it just gets swept up. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say you could have put cardboard on the floor to spit on, but they needed that cardboard <laughs> for the walls. Yeah, exactly. Every scrap of cardboard was absolutely necessary. Did you ever have to? Uh, I know it's low budget, but it also it's a film crew, so people have their jobs. Did you ever have to help out with any of the cardboard stuff? I was told that um, legally, I couldn't while on set as an actor um but afterwards when when my day was done sometimes that uh, steve was working endlessly on that movie steve was um you know he helped write it and then he was there building sets tearing them down yeah doing everything and so i'd sometimes hang out with him if my day was done but then when the day is done done i'd try and help out a little bit but he he was very nice and encouraging like hey man you got a job being an actor you're like you don't have to worry about the stuff we got it so um i loved being there watching it all be created though i wanted to help out but i also i'm not um yeah you're not allowed to well and i'm not uh inclined with good crafting skills oh okay so they have experts and people that are really good doing this stuff, and I didn't want to come by and screw it up. <laughs> what are you doing now? I did a, a short film with Steve Sears uh, a little while ago. It just uh, it was at a, a film festival in L.A., so it was shown there. And um, so that was um, called Special Feature. So again, that was really fun because hanging out with him and other people I know, and so he he put that up, and he's probably going to be putting it around some more. So he wrote it and directed it, and then um, he's 
working on something else and he's preliminary talking about it with me that he wants to do something with me. So I, I always happily say yes to Steve. And, um, other than that, I do a, a wrestling podcast. Yeah. So I have a big love of professional wrestling. So it gives me a chance to go and talk about wrestling and travel, see the shows and talk to wrestlers and do that stuff. And YouTube shows that I do, one is also about professional wrestling. It's like Between Two Ferns, but for wrestling. Yeah. Where um, I write for it and direct it and I show up as a character in it. And uh, I do an unboxing show as well. So, yeah, just doing different stuff and every so often when i think oh you know maybe i'll do the acting thing or maybe i won't someone will call me up and want to do something so they i i'm i'm fortunate in that way i but it's not a it's not a full-time pursuit right now as long as you're able to do the fun stuff and be comfortable yeah and that's i yeah that's a good way of putting it that i get to do the fun stuff i am comfortable and uh i get to still be a person you know not one of the crazed actors cool so what is, aside from the bread rolls, what's another good story that no one would know from this set? Uh, Frank Cayetti, again, who played the, the boom operator, is, is just one of the funniest people I've ever known. I've, I've known him from Second City as well. He was one of my teachers. He was on Mad TV. And just a, an excellent performer who, who should be in, he should be in everything. I love him to death. And uh, at any second, he's kind of make you laugh way more than you should it's like being kids in school when you're when you're not supposed to laugh that's when it will get you <laughs> so he, he he's always doing something so he eventually came up with a song that would get me every time i think he called it dookie stain because somebody had a little bit of schmutz on their shirt from lunch <laughs> and it was brown and he'd look at it with a big old smile on his face and go, you got a dookie stain on your shirt. Got a little bit dookie? And then he'd sing like, dookie stain. Looking at your shirt, you got some dookie, dookie stain. <laughs> so he'd just do stuff like that. And right in between the takes, he'd sing dookie stain. Nice. And it's like, all right, let's take it again. And it's like, oh, no, Frank, stop, stop, stop. Right for a nice serious scene. Yeah, he'd do st stuff like that. Or anytime he'd also, uh, he'd take the boom mic and because our equipment was functional so we turn it on so that way in case you ever saw it the lights would be on and that it'd be yeah. operating but every time he would bring the boom mic up close as he turned it on to make a sound check and every time he'd bring it up close to his mouth then he'd go cock <laughs> and then he'd give a nod of like yeah it, it works and then hold it in place and be ready to go um it sounds like you had a good time then it was it was a blast it was so much fun it's it's uh it was like camp you know, you get to be there for a few weeks. There are these really close friends and relationships that you have for that amount of time, and then you know everybody's going to go away from there, but it's the summer you don't forget, you know? And then I can probably disarm all the traps, and then we can, we can finish this maze! Who is with me? That was me, Robert Black of Michael Myers Minute, taking on Minute 19 of Dave Made a Maze. Thanks again to Scott Narver. I will be back in Minute 21. Next time, on Dave Made a Minute, we've got Rick Ingham and Julia Ingham of Mad Max Minute taking on Minute 20. Thank you for listening to Dave Made a Minute. Intro dialogue snippets were taken from Dave Made a Maze, directed by Bill Watterson, written by Bill Watterson and Steve Sears, and produced by John Charles Meyer. Intro music is Diversion by The Equals, featured in the film Dave Made a Maze, and Life Cycle of a Match by Parvis Decree. Outro music is Leaving This Godforsaken Place and Her Presence is Strong Here by Parvis Decree. 
Dave Made a Minute is a production of Lemming Drop Studio and all other featured podcast producers. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Dave Made a Minute. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. And check out all of the participants' other shows to spread the love around. Again, thank you for listening. As long as we're all working together, this is going to be fine. It's going to be great. I need you to notify the families of everyone who died here today. Totally. Wait, what? <laughs>